0: Welcome to the Christ Church Conway Podcast. We hope you find this podcast to be a resource that helps you grow in your faith through the study of Scripture and theology. We're going to be, we're going to be looking at this morning properly at Hosea verse, chapter 1 verses 1 through 9 uh, and we're going, to, we're going to dip our toes in to verses uh, 10 and 11. And then next week, we're going to look properly at those verses, okay? Because there's two reasons for that. One, uh, there, there's a clear section break between those, and, and so I want to like, honor that in how we look at this. Uh, but two, I think we need to, to reflect on what's being said in these first nine verses. But I don't want to just leave us there in despair, because that's a horrible place to be. And so I want to remind us of where this is going. And, and then next week, we're going to look at the glories of this, these gospel promises that we have here in the book of Hosea. But, but we'll, we'll, we'll taste of them this week. So let's give our attention this morning to the book of Hosea, chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. The word of the Lord that came to Hosea, the son of Biri, in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel. When the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, Go take to yourself a wife of whoredom, and have children of whoredom, for the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. So he went and took Gomer, the daughter of Diblaim, and she conceived and bore him a son. And the Lord said to him, Call his name Jezreel, for in just a little while I will punish the house of Jehu for the blood of Jezreel, and I will put an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel." And on that day, I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. She conceived again and bore a daughter. And the Lord said to him, call her name No Mercy. For I will no more have mercy on the house of Israel to forgive them at all. But I will have mercy on the house of Judah, and I will save them by the Lord their God. I will not save them by bow or by sword or by war or by horses or by horsemen. When she had weaned no mercy, she conceived and bore a son. And the Lord said, call his name, not my people. For you are not my people, and I am not your God. Fathers, we come to this very harrowing and difficult passage. Indeed, a a difficult book in your Bible. I pray that we would hear this as your word and that it would drive us to Christ our savior. Strengthen me this morning, Father, by your spirit that I may announce the good news of the gospel to those who need to hear. In Christ's name. Amen. Well, Hosea is kind of at the same time, kind of kind of simultaneously one of the, the most difficult books in the Bible because of uh, ju- just how direct Hosea is with, with the judgment of God. But at the same time, it's also one of the most comforting books of the Bible. Because what we see, and, and what we're going to see this morning, I'll just spill all the beans right up front, what we're going to see this morning is, is that, that we can't out the grace of God. That, that no matter how unbelievable of sinners we are. We can't, we can't negate his promises to his people. That's what we see throughout the book of Hosea. And, and God uses this prophet Hosea in, in this way. He uses his, his kind of entire life as a metaphor for this very message. That's largely a message of judgment. But, but like every prophet, there's always these, these statements of hope that come in and remind us of who our God is. So there was this prophet, his name is Hosea, and, and we're given a, a pretty typical introduction to him by, by letting us know kind of all the kings that, that he was the, the prophet during their time. That's how they would date things. So there's a list of kings in Judah. And there's only one king listed from Israel. Now, Hosea was primarily concerned with the northern kingdom, with Israel, but but his words had relevance to the southern kingdom as well, so they're listed. And the reason that there's only one king listed for Israel, unlike Judah, where there were a lot of kings, is because after this particular king, you got a string of of kings in the north that just had very, very short reigns. Uh, so, So to cover the same amount of time, he would have had to list a whole bunch of people because he was prophesying... In the time, in the 8th century BC, so he was prophesying in the days leading up to the destruction of Israel. Where everything, like the wheels were just coming off completely in the northern kingdom. Everything was just completely falling apart. Because what they had done is, is they had continued, and this is all the, all the, the whoredom language, but because, because the, the relationship between God and his people is seen as a marriage, they had continued to, to adulterate themselves by, by pursuing all of these other gods by burning, uh, you know, by burning uh, incense to all these false gods, by, by worshiping Baal, by, by running to the kingdoms around them instead of to Yahweh in order to be saved. Just everything that they could do to break every commandment, they did in spades. And so God calls this prophet and uses his entire life as a metaphor for what's happening in Israel and what he's about to do to Israel. And and he he tells him to to take a wife of Hortiment. And we've got to be careful here and and kind of think through this because one thing that has happened with the book of Hosea is that, that we've become fascinated with Hosea's uh, kind of biography. We've become fascinated with the story of his life and, and who exactly Gomer was and how bad was she really and, and was it really all of this? And, 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 and commentaries spend tons and tons of time on those issues, but, but Hosea doesn't actually give us a whole lot of details about the situation. We know that, that God's law forbidden marrying prostitutes, so, so we can safely assume based on God's word that that's not what was going on. So either the, the, the language that's being picked up here is just marry someone that, like the rest of Israel, has gone after all of these other gods. And there's a good case that, that can be made for that being how we should read it. Another way to read it is that that he married her, and then later she actually did, not just spiritually, but even in their marriage, prove to be unfaithful. But but kind of however we parse out those details, it, it doesn't particularly matter because the metaphor stands either way. The picture that God is, is wanting to give his people through this prophet and through his family is the picture of how God sees Israel in relationship to him. And that is that they have gone after all kinds of other gods. That they've given themselves away to to gods other than Yahweh. And so these three children are born. The first is named Jezreel, and it gives us these explanations for for each kid. Here's here's the name of the child, and then here's the explanation. And so the first one is, is born, Jezreel, and then this is the explanation that's given. For in just a little while, I will punish the house of Jehu for the blood of Jezreel, and I will put an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel. And on that day, I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. Now, what's going on with this Jezreel situation? Well, it, it's, a, it's a name of a place in Israel that, that was famous for a few things. It was a famous place for, for battles when you, when you read through First and 2 Kings. It was also a, a famous place associated with, with uh, Ahab uh, and his wife Jezebel. But it was also a place where Jehu, that's mentioned here, showed up and slaughtered at first, at first, by the command of God, slaughtered the line of Ahab and kind of took them out of the picture and and took over the throne. But then, he went further than he was supposed to and kind of just kept killing everyone that he thought had anything to do with Ahab. And he stepped beyond the directives of God. And and there's some things that are interesting about him because he's commended as like doing some good things of of like getting rid of this king that was was leading Israel into just gross idolatry. But then in the end, guess what Jehu didn't do? He didn't cut off the idolatry. He continued to lead the people to worship Baal. He continued to lead them away from Yahweh. And and so we've got this kind of flawed character, this this tragic hero. And so the first thing that that Yahweh says through Hosea is call this kid Jezreel because I'm going to fix everything that has happened in association with that. I'm going to make that right. And I'm going to do it by breaking the bow of Israel by ending the kingdom of Israel. Now, that happened in in 722 when the Assyrians came in and took Israel out and just obliterated them. And so Hosea's job was to show up and say, hey, this is what's coming. Because the people of God have not followed me. They're going to be destroyed. Now, when we put this all in its kind of context of of the broader canon, what we see is happening here is that God is applying the law with all of its promises of cursing to the people of God. And and as we read through the book of Hosea, what we're going to see is that, and, and this is true with really all the prophets, what we're going to see is they're not coming up with like, they're not sitting back going like, oh man, what would just be like this super hardcore way to just freak the people out and maybe get them to repent. No, they're just taking God's law in Deuteronomy, the curses for disobedience, and saying, you have disobeyed, this is what's coming. And that's what Hosea is doing. Because they had disobeyed, one of the the curses was that they would be taken off into other lands. that They would be scattered. That the kingdom itself would be brought to an end. She conceived again and bore a daughter. And the Lord said to him, call her name No Mercy. For I will no more have mercy on the house of Israel to forgive them at all like the worst news possible no mercy god had had been long suffering in showing israel mercy they had been buck wild doing their thing and god had been merciful and not destroyed them but he was saying the reckoning is coming and that will no longer be the case they'll no longer get my mercy but they will be destroyed. And then he adds to this part, but I will have mercy on the house of Judah, and I will save them by the Lord their God. I will not save them by bow or by sword or by war or by horses or by horsemen. So so here's where we kind of get this first glimpse of something maybe good. Because what Israel had kind of constantly done is they had made alliances with other people, with other kingdoms, with other nations, trying to protect themselves from whoever it was that was going to destroy them. And and God was saying, we're done with that. I didn't ask you, I didn't ask you, people of God, I didn't ask you, Israel, to be politically savvy and make deals with people to protect you. I didn't ask you, Israel, to be politically savvy and figure out a way to gain your security through political machinations. I didn't ask you for that. I asked you to trust me. I asked you, people of God, to believe my word, to let me establish you, not to seek what I've promised through the political machines that are available to me. I feel like in some culture, somewhere, probably there's a good sermon to be preached here. And he reminds Judah, that's not how you'll be saved. It's not going to be my nation's it's not going to be by military. It's not going to be by a horseman. He lists all these kind of ways that, that we would look to save ourselves. I will not save them by any of those things. By none of it. I will save them by the Lord their God. It's beautifully self-referential there, isn't it? It's it's God speaking to his people saying, I will save them by me. By me. Not by them or any of them. By me. Not by the plans that they could come up with to provide security for themselves. By me. Not by their holiness and and piety and them being better than everybody else. By me. That's how I'll save them. That's how I will save them. See, the northern kingdom had gone awry quicker than the southern kingdom had. And so at this point, in the 8th century, in in the 700s, things were still, to some degree, holding together in the southern kingdom, but they were just absolutely breaking apart in the north. And so God was saying to Judah, come to me, let me save you, let me be your hope, let me be your way, let me be your God. Now the tragedy of this is, Judah would ultimately fall and fell in the same way that Israel did. Because they wouldn't believe God's word either. They wouldn't believe what he said right here, even in the face of Israel being completely undone. I will save them by the Lord their God. Ultimately, Judah would fail to believe that also. When she had weaned no mercy, she conceived and bore a son. We're now to the third kid. And the Lord called His name, Not My People. For you are not My people, and I am not your God. Some people see kind of some building from Jezreel to No Mercy to Not My People. And, and, and I think there is some progression there. I'm, I'm going to vindicate the, the sins of, of Jehu in the valley of Jezreel. I'm going to vindicate all of that. Step one. Step two. I'm not going to show you mercy anymore. But then the final kind of covenantal step. You're not my people anymore. And I am not your God. This is what what Old Testament people call the, the covenant formulary, or at least this is the negation of the covenant formulary, that I will be your God and you will be my people. All of a sudden, that's gone. This one thing that gave them security is gone. There's nothing left. In, in the ancient Near East, this would have been like they, they would have felt this just very, very dearly. Because in the ancient Near East, it was a much more kind of openly religious culture where, where every culture had their gods and, and their God was their protection. Every war in ancient times was a holy war and, and they, you know, made no bones about it. And so for a God to say, Yeah, there is no more us. It's it's to leave that entire people utterly exposed with no protection, with no hope, with no security, with no identity. And because of their constant idolatry, because of their spiritual adultery, because they refused to walk in the ways of God, because of their sin, that's where they were left. It's where we're all left, isn't it? If we flip back to to Deuteronomy chapter 4, you can flip there with me if you want or you can you can just listen. We, we read some some words from from Deuteronomy 4 beginning in verse 25 that that announce some of this. When, you're fa- when you father children and children's children and have grown old in the land, if you act corruptly by making a carved image in the form of anything and by doing what is evil in the sight of the Lord your God so as to provoke him to anger, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that you will soon utterly perish from the land that you are going over the Jordan to possess. You will not live long in it, but will be utterly destroyed. And the Lord will scatter you among the peoples and you will be left few in number among the nations where the Lord will drive you. And there you will serve gods of wood and stone, the work of human hands that neither see nor hear nor eat nor smell. That's what we see happening Or that's what we see being announced in Hosea. That's exactly what they had done. They had served false gods and and were, were left on their own. Just as we, when we serve false gods, are left on our own. Just as the church, just as the church must be careful that it is in fact Christ we follow. But even the law doesn't end there. Back to Deuteronomy 4, verse 29. He continues, But from there you will seek the Lord your God and you will find Him if you search after Him with all your heart and with all your soul. When you are in tribulation and all these things come upon you in the latter days, you will return to the Lord your God and obey His voice. For the Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not leave you or destroy you or forget the covenant with your fathers that he swore to them. The covenant that he made with Abraham that was passed down to Isaac and passed down to Jacob. The covenant that established them As a people, the covenant where God took all the covenant curses on himself and gave promises to his people. He said, you will be destroyed. You will be cast out. But you'll search for me and you'll find me even when you've been obliterated. Why? Because I won't forget my covenant. I won't forget my covenant. I won't forget what I said I would do. I will not forget to save you. Do we get that? If you're like me, you run to the law so often trying to fix your flesh to make yourself presentable to God, forgetting that he won't forget his covenant. that the law is designed to show us our sin and to leave us undone and to drive us to Jesus. The fulfillment, Paul tells us, of his covenant, of his promise to save his people. That's where the story ends. It, It doesn't end with vindication for their failures in the valley of Jezreel. It doesn't end with them not receiving mercy. It doesn't end with them not being His people. Ultimately, we read, yet, the number of the children of Israel shall be like the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered. And in the place where it was said to them, you are not my people, it will be said to them, children of the living God. And the children of Judah and the children of Israel shall be gathered together and they shall appoint for themselves one head and they shall go up from the land for great shall be the day of Jezreel. Notice what has happened here. The picture of Jezreel and not my people, no mercy has been flipped from a picture of judgment to a picture of redemption because of God's grace. Because as he said in the law, which is being applied here, I won't forget my covenant. See, so often we think that the law is just law and that the law wasn't aware of what it was doing. If we can personify the law in that way. But it was because God was aware. He knew we couldn't keep the law. He knew we couldn't obey. He knew we wouldn't get it right. He knew that the only hope that His people would ever have is if He promised and kept His promise. That's why as we just went through all the covenants in the Old Testament or most of the covenants in the Old Testament, we, we saw the order. There was a law given in the garden that was failed. And then there was promise and promise, and then another law given to remind them that their only hope was in Him keeping that promise. And then there was another promise given after that. That He would do something again. That He would circumcise our hearts. And that we would be His people. So when Hosea applies the law, it doesn't stop just with judgment. He applies all of the law. Yes, there is judgment on Israel because of her sin. This this typological picture had to be brought to completion. But that's not the end of the story for the people of God. The story for the people of God is I will remember my covenant. I will remember my covenant. And that's where we live. So we've got to be careful in how we apply Hosea because we don't live now under this this law that we've got to go and make sacrifices and do all of these things. We live under the reign of Christ. We live under the fulfillment of the covenant. We live under the remembrance of God. We're the scattered people that were rightly scattered but have been brought back in. That's who we are. So here's what we need to do. We need to remember that and believe the end of the story and live in light of that reality and not wake up every morning and put the mantle of law on our shoulders as if somehow we're going to make it today. No. We wake up every morning and we put the mantle of the grace of Jesus Christ, who is the fulfillment of God remembering His promises and saying, the flesh is no help at all, but Jesus will get me there. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word and for the hope that it gives even as it shows us our sin. Help us, Father, to remember that we are found in Christ. We are kept in Him because You have kept Your promise. Because Your Word is sure and true down to the smallest mark of the pen. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Christchurch Conway podcast. We hope this teaching has helped you grow in the unity of faith and knowledge of the Son of God. Please feel free to share this resource so that others may also be strengthened in their faith through the study of Scripture and theology.